Welcome to the Neville on Fire podcast. Neville Goddard was a 20th century spiritual teacher who offered a profound message. Your creative imagination is the very source of reality. As we learn to use it properly, life becomes intelligible and rewarding. Join your host, Ed, to explore our most valuable asset, the human imagination. This is episode 20, How to Enter the Creative State. In today's episode, I want to talk about, first of all, motivation in several aspects, and then secondly, about technique, how to enter the creative state. Neville quotes the English philosopher Douglas Fawcett as follows, The secret of imagining is the greatest of all problems, to the solution of which everyone should aspire. For supreme power, supreme wisdom, and supreme delight lie in the far-off solution of this mystery. All right, so in this podcast series, that's exactly what we're doing. We're going to take Douglas Fawcett at his word and explore this hypothesis from every possible angle. Now, he says that this truth, if it is truth, is the most important, the most utterly enthralling truth that we could hope to find. So he's passionate about it, and so is Neville. And if you think about the content of of their message it would have to be, you know, the most fundamental concern of, of any human being who's a thinking person. And yet somehow we seem to be asleep to it. We don't seem to have the motivation that is equal to the significance of this practical philosophy. Well, it seems you can be motivated in a negative way and in a positive way. There's a lot of truth-telling that's going on in our society right now. How do you discern truth? Back in episode 7 and 8, I touched on the dark side, uh, speaking about segment of society that might wish to turn the power of imagination uh, to dark purposes, to control other people. And then I asked whether it's worthwhile dwelling on that so intently, because we run the risk of perpetuating whatever we impress upon the subconscious. So despite the fact that I thought I was pretty well versed in what's going on, and yet even I was shocked when I came across some more information recently to the effect that the scope and the degree of deception that's going on is just extraordinary. It's not just that certain interests are playing out. It's actually that reality itself, narratives, are deliberately contrived to produce a specific effect in the human psyche. So I'll put a further explanation and a link in the show notes for anyone who wishes to follow up on that. Another aspect of negative motivation, so to speak, is to try to come to grips with this question. Why is it that we cannot more readily or immediately adopt a life of deliberate and consistent positive imagining? Now, we've already acknowledged that the human psyche, the subjective mind, is 100% susceptible to suggestion. So what that points to is the fact that we have such ingrained habits of thought, and if a lot of the narratives are controlled and we're not open to free exploration in our education, then a lot of our thought is already predetermined. A cynical view on this that I heard recently was that if people had more freedom, they wouldn't know what to do with it, so they have to be controlled. So this is the kind of elitist thinking that's going on. This leads me to think that there's an extraordinary gravity in our thinking, the result both of a life lived unconsciously for years and the entrainment by institutions. All right, so what was the purpose in reviewing this negative aspect of motivation? In other words, seeing that 
um, a lot in our psyche, in our vocabulary, in our narratives that we accept as true, a lot is controlled. And the more you look into that, the more you discover the truth of that. That, although discouraging, can have a positive effect in that it will jolt you. It will wake you up and make you see the degree to which you've actually been losing control of your own life. And that can lead us back to the question, all right, can we actually adopt quickly and more readily a positive attitude and start creating the things that we want? The answer is yes. Let's get to the point where we can see our way clear to accomplishing that. All right, well, let's turn our attention now to positive motivation. What is the significance of embracing and deliberately developing the imagination? I think we tend to think of it like anything else we might study, and that is like a, an add-on or a bolt-on to our existing psychology. Whereas I'm getting the message from different points of view that it's actually transformative in nature. Going back to Douglas Fawcett, for example, in his view, it's the imagination that contains everything else. He says that uh, self-awareness occurs normally only intermittently. Well, he's right about that. But he says it's the imagination rather than just being a, an aspect of the mind. It's the, the wider field which renders the intermittent occurrence of self-awareness even possible. So there could be some confusion with terminology here, but I feel that Fawcett is saying that the human imagination is much more essential to us. Instead of just being a faculty over there in the corner of the mind somewhere that we sometimes engage with, it's actually the essence of who we are. And this leads us to consider, well, how often do we actually exercise it and appreciate it? We tend to relegate it into the realm of fantasy and something childlike that's no longer needed. And this is distinctly unhealthy. So what we find is the deliberate use of the imagination, not when it is controlling you, but when you are controlling it, it has a therapeutic function. This is how human beings should be operating. So in this connection, let's not forget Neville's admonition about mind and speech and his quoting the Bible, where it says, The word that goes forth from my mouth shall not return unto me void, but will accomplish what I please. It'll prosper in the thing for which I sent it. The point being that this is not a part-time recreational activity. It's actually the core creative function of human beings. One example of that was given in the Canadian psychologist um, and hypnotherapist Lee Poulos, who has a lot of material on auto-hypnosis and visualization. He insists uh, in many exercises on the person speaking out and giving many details. Describe everything that you see in the mind's eye. And then in another account, see again the show notes, the result of doing that is a return to normal function, a release of neuroses, tension, and disease, and so on. So isn't it curious that the deliberate, positive imagining, vivid imagining and description of creative contents can actually have a therapeutic effect and signify a return to sanity and normalcy? So that concludes the first part of the episode where we considered motivation both in its negative or repellent aspect and in its positive aspect where hopefully it will inspire you to take up imagination much more seriously. Well now in the second part let's go into this technique how to enter the creative state. Now we've already talked about many aspects of this many sets of instructions many different labels how to Approach Awareness of Being. That's episode one. Keep in mind that Alexander's exercise is connected with the whole program of auto-hypnosis, and the whole purpose of that is to normalize all of the functions and achieve awareness of being, achieve objective consciousness. 
Now, I took that in episode 15, How to Meditate, and put it together with the use of affirmations as we think of them connected with Neville's teaching. Neville's own instructions have important nuances, so I'll point to, for example, in chapter 2, Prayer, the Art of Believing, and here's a quote. Ideas are best suggested when the objective mind is partly subjective, that is, when the objective senses are diminished or held in abeyance. This partly subjective state can best be described as controlled reverie, wherein the mind is passive, but capable of functioning with absorption. It is a concentration of attention. Close quote. All right, so there I see Neville addressing the idea of invoking a, a rapport, a, a sort of a, an exchange, a give and take between the uh, conscious mind and the subconscious mind. Notice in his description that you never do fall completely asleep. You don't lose conscious control. Now, another important nuance that Neville offers in the book, The Power of Awareness, chapter 14, he talks about the principle of least action. So here I'll read for you. The principle of least action governs everything in physics, from the path of a planet to the path of a pulse of light. Least action is the minimum of energy multiplied by the minimum of time. Therefore, in moving from your present state to the state desired, you must use the minimum of energy and take the shortest possible time. All right, so this is exactly the shifting over that I was talking about back in episode 18. So in all this discussion of technique, I think it's important not to be too tightly bound by strict definitions. It really is a matter of personal experimentation. And yet there is an important premise. It's the thread that runs through all the successful examples, and that is to have awareness of being. You're not lost in imagination, and it's not controlling you. Rather, you are directing it. The reason we're doing this recapitulation on method or technique is because I want to try to explore some of these aspects a little more closely, things that have just been coming to my attention that might indicate for you a way to improve your practice. Well, much of this discussion of technique has to do with finding time in the day for a meditation session where you would retire from your normal activity. You isolate yourself. There's a place for that, but is it not also worthwhile considering how to move, how to be in everyday life as you go through your day? So let's put something together in the way of a, a moving meditation, which is really just a, a new way of being. Now, what would that involve? So a few things enter in here. First of all, you would have to have awareness of being. You have to be self-remembering. Second, if we're following Neville, we have to have the notion that reality is a projection we're emanating our own physical body and the physical circumstances and situations that we encounter. Then in self-remembering, you have to be mindful of your own physical posture. Stand up straight. Draw yourself up to your full height. Do not hunch over. And let go of unnecessary tension. Next, we've talked about establishing a rapport between the conscious and the subconscious mind. So we're particularly sensitive to what the subconscious is saying, how it's responding from moment to moment. We're maintaining the state of mind that is akin to the wish fulfilled. We're maintaining our assumptions about our major goals. So if we put all of those elements together, we're not going to be sleepwalking through the day. We're going to be much more intuitively aware, and we won't be imposing on ourselves this division or split where we have a meditation session that is isolated from the rest of the day where we might be falling back into habitual patterns. 
Well, from there, let me suggest another technique that is something you might call a moving meditation. So it's similar, but it's more in the nature of an exercise. Have you ever paced back and forth when you're trying to put your mind to something? You could be pacing back and forth in your office or up and down a hallway or even going out for a walk when no one really suspects that you're going out to actually do a meditation session. So the idea is that you have your long-form affirmation. Let's say it's printed out on a sheet of paper. And as you walk, as you go forward, in that state of vivid awareness, just like an actor on a stage, you would start to say your lines, go through this long-form affirmation. Now, the whole point of doing this in a moving fashion is to work up your belief, work up your state of mind that is embracing and drenched in the feeling of the wish fulfilled. Now, you want to do this when you're out in the world uh, walking, let's say, in the, in the broad daylight and uh, doing your affirmation out loud. You want to do it, of course, in such a way that you're not going to attract attention to yourself. But the point is that when you engage your whole sensory experience of being in the environment, that, I think, is going to help you dissolve the false barrier between the external the seeming external world and your mind, that's going to allow you to work up the emotion of being in the state of the wish fulfilled much more effectively sometimes than you could do just by sitting quietly. Well, let's go over what we covered today. We're talking about finding motivation to pursue the most extraordinary philosophy, practice, religion, whatever you want to call it, that we've ever encountered. It supersedes every other consideration. It answers the existential questions. It gives the possibility to create an intelligible, meaningful life for yourself and others. Now, of course, that doesn't mean that we won't go through the human experience and all the various states, the ups and downs. That's all part of the plan that we created for ourselves. But to really take hold of our imaginal life, we have to deal with the motivation problem. We have to look at motivation both from the point of view of uh, being repelled away from a life of control and domination by other forces, and motivation from the positive aspect, that is to realize that it really is our true selves to be creatively imaginative. And it has a, a normalizing and therapeutic effect. This is all part of waking up, but it has to do with realizing clearly that the thoughts that we think, the narratives that we think are so important, the stories we've been told... 90% of it is just garbage. It's been someone else's narrative, someone else's story, their control picture for humanity. And to have political awakening is arguably necessary before you can have spiritual awakening. If then we have motivation, then it becomes a matter of developing practice. It's an exploration. It's going to be an individual solution to this problem. And no matter what labels and uh, instructions we give, it's going to be a matter of experimentation. Now, it's likely that quiet self-realization, uh, peaceful meditation that is um, alone, isolated, forms a good foundation for moving meditation. The imaginative life is one where consciousness and creation work together. The world, as Neville says, should be a place of wonder and marvel. And religion should not be something to defend, but rather something to practice. What are the benefits? You're not self-deluded any longer. On the contrary, you are vividly aware of yourself. Your state 
your identity, what you take to be yourself, and the subsequent desires. And you're aware of the world at large with all its potentialities. You're more capable, you're more confident. Don't forget, Neville says, that a person's confidence is the measure of his faith in God. So I hope you found today's episode helpful to approach new ways to get into a state of creativity, resulting in well-being and peace. Thank you for listening. Remember to check the show notes and subscribe to the Neville on Fire podcast. 